The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I'd like to draw your attention this morning to the book of Psalm, the 85th division of the Psalm. Verse 10 and 11. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. The apostle speaks, uh, the psalmist speaks here of mercy and truth meeting together. Righteousness and peace kissing one another. It's important for us to remember that when we read the Old Testament, we're not just reading a book about history or about science, although the Bible is a great science book, um, the true science uh, is taught in the Word of God long before men discovered in 1492 that the earth was round. The Bible tells us that the Lord sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And it was only through the fact that the Bible was being hidden from men that men made the mistake of believing that the earth was flat. Um, there are many places uh, in the scripture that teach phenomenal scientific truth. The world would have you to believe today that the Bible is nothing more than a book of fables. Uh, no, no different than Aesop's fables. But this book is, as it is in truth, the word of God. Right. And therefore, it is accurate from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Amen. And everything in between, there is no error in it whatsoever. Amen. I was reading the New York Times one time. Somebody said, Brother Lonnie, what are you reading the New York Times for? I said, well, I like to do a little opposition research from time <laughs> to time. I like to keep up with the enemy, you know, drop down behind enemy lines and do a little scouting and uh, there was an article in that publication that uh, was quoting one of our famous presidents of the past I won't say who he is he used to raise peanuts but um, <laughs> he made this statement he said as a Christian I believe the Bible but as a scientist I do not believe in a six day creation I thought, how sad, how tragic. Amen. That's right, brother. You can't have it both ways. Either the Bible is true or it's not. Amen. But what does the Bible say? Let God be true and every man a liar. Any man that contradicts the word of God is a liar. I didn't say that. God's word says that. The Bible tells us that the word of God is true from the beginning. It's not true partway through it or halfway through it. It's true from the beginning. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. That is science. Amen. That's true science. The Apostle Paul told the young minister, Timothy, beware of oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Right. Falsely so-called. <laughs> there is a true science that is in perfect harmony with what God's word teaches. Amen. The Bible is a science book. It's a history book. You can read about the history of the earth, the history of the world, the history of human beings, 
the history of the nation of Israel, there's much history in the Bible. History of the works of the apostles, the history of the, uh, of the ministry of Christ on the earth. There's much history in the Bible. It's all accurate. It astonishes me how that from time to time you'll read this little blurb uh, in the bottom corner of some publication somewhere where archaeologists discover something that the Bible was telling years before that that they didn't think to be true. Some obscure king that lived thousands of years ago, they unearth, dig up evidence that he actually existed. And the Bible said that he did, but archaeologists have now discovered that he actually did. Wow! <laughs> Uh, the, Bible, the Bible is a science book. It's a history book. It, the, the, the Bible is a book, uh, many, but the primary purpose of the word of God is what? Jesus said to the Pharisees, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Right. You know, people have thought that the eternal life was in the scriptures way back then. <laughs> That's not something that, you know, uh, Armenians just thought up recently. You say, who are Armenians? They're not people from Armenia. Uh, they're people that believe in the doctrine of James Arminius who said that you've got to preach to people, give them a chance to accept what they hear before they can be born again. That doctrine didn't get started a few hundred years ago. It's been around a long time. But what did Jesus say? He said, they are they which testify of me. The word of God testifies of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read the Old Testament, you're not just reading about the creation, the flood. You're not just reading about the, the, the history of the nation of Israel. You're reading about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you miss that, you've missed the point. You know, even in the very beginning of the tone of time, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and by him all things consist, the Bible said. They, John tells us, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him there was nothing made that was made. Hebrews chapter 1. Glorious chapter, well, all of them are glorious, but in Hebrews chapter 1 it says that, that, that uh, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ there. He starts off by saying, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. How did God make the worlds? He made them by his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, we could stay there all day, but the point is this, is that the Word of God is not just about history, it's not just about science, it's not just about uh, 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 reading about the nation, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember whenever those two men were on the road to Emmaus, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, the Bible tells us the Lord attached himself, or he, 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 the Lord met them on that road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize who he was. They were his disciples. But they did not recognize who they were talking to. Jesus asked them what, what they were talking about. As, not because he didn't know, but to expose the fact that they were in a state of unbelief. And they said, are you a stranger in Israel? 
<laughs> Don't you know what's happened here? Can you imagine they're talking to the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to tell you, we have a sovereign God. And if he doesn't desire to reveal himself to you, you won't see him. Even if you're a child of God, you're a disciple of Christ. But you can come to church, sit there and think, what's everybody so excited about? What's all this commotion about? you, You can be stuck in the mud yourself as a child of God until the Lord reveals himself to you. Until the Lord opens your eyes to see. Until the Lord causes you to rejoice yourself. You can be sitting next to somebody on shouting ground and you're stuck in the mud. And the Bible tells us that he asked them and they said, well, you know, we, we, we thought, we believed it was he that was to come. We, we, in other words, they revealed that they had lost hope. Yeah. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, well, you know, I can understand why you feel that way. It's been a rough few days. Things haven't. No, he upbraided them. Why? Because he had told them ahead of time, this is going to happen. He told them that he was going to be betrayed and crucified and rise the third day. This was the third. This was since that time, since the resurrection. And they, he upbraided them for the, and then the Bible says, beginning at Moses, he expounded unto them all the things that in the, in the scriptures concerning himself. Beginning at Moses, what does that mean? It means that he began at the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the five books called the book of Moses by the Jews. <clears throat> they, they didn't have it broken down into Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy like you and I do. They, 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 it was all one book called the book of Moses. Why? Because Moses was the author. But Moses had written that book under the inspiration of God, of the Holy Spirit. And therefore it was accurate from the beginning. Now, Moses wasn't there whenever God created the heavens and the earth. But the Holy Spirit was. He moved upon the face of the waters. So when the Spirit told Moses what to write, that's what Moses wrote. All right? The first five books of the Bible, the book of both. God's Son began at Moses. He began at Genesis 1-1. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard that sermon? Wouldn't that have been glorious to be there? The Bible said that whenever they got, whenever the Lord got through preaching that sermon, he, not only did he preach from the book of Moses, but the Bible tells us that in all the prophets. I love what Elder Sonny Pyle said about the book of Exodus. <clears throat> he said, most people, you know, they, they decide, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to read the whole Bible. And that's a, that, listen, that is a noble and worthy thing that you ought to do. I highly recommend you tap into whatever. Um, there, there are several different websites. I'm knowing the McCools the way I know them. They've probably got this on their website. I, I use Brother Ronald Lawrence's up in Nashville. But where, in other words, just look, find somewhere that will show you how to read the Bible through in, in a year's time and get on the program. You say, well, Brother Lonnie, it's already March. That's all right. You can catch up. But here's what I want you to see. Is that that Brother Sonny said people say, well, I'm going to read through the Bible. And they start off Genesis 1. They have a wonderful time reading the book of Genesis. All about the creation, the flood, Abraham, the life of Joseph. They had wonderful time. And then when they get to Exodus, usually people exit 
at Exodus. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's all talking about the same one Genesis is talking about. Joseph's life is not just the life of a young Jewish boy who grew up uh, under bad circumstances. It's a life of Jesus Christ in a picture, in a, in a beautiful metaphor. It's, it's the, uh, as the scripture says, a type and shadow. The point I want you to see is, is that whenever you read the Old Testament, you need to be looking for the Lord. You know, when you think about the book of Psalms, what do you think about? You know, I don't know. I, I do not only believe in the divine inspiration of Scripture. I believe in the divine preservation of Scripture. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that the Lord said, uh, the words of the Lord are pure words, as, as silver tried in the furnace of birth seven times. Uh, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, forever. The words, not just the word, the words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, from this generation forever. The Lord has been keeping his words preserved. Ever since they were written, he's kept them not only from being inspired, he, they were inspired, but then he keeps them preserved. So that we have today the same word of God that was picked up and read by the Old Testament saints, Amen. that was picked up and read by the disciples, right. that was picked up and read by the early church and down through the centuries. We're reading the same book if you've got a King James translation. Right. Right. Now, if you don't have a King James translation, you've got a perversion right. of the Word of God, and you don't, you're not actually... You remember what the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Amos? The Lord said, I will send a famine in the land, not of bread, right. not of... Not of a thirst for water, but of hearing the words, the words of God. I, listen, <clears throat> there are people today that think they're hearing the words of God that aren't hearing them anymore. Right, right. I was at a funeral one time. I may have told this before, but old people like to re repeat themselves, so just stick with me. <clears throat> I was at a funeral one time, and uh, 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 this man got up and said, I want to read you. He was trying to comfort the congregation. He wasn't a primitive Baptist. He gets, he gets up and he says, I want to read to you from the word of God. And he reads something and it says, you will keep him stable that thinks about you. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, now where is this man, think, where does he think he is? I'm scanning the Bible. And it finally dawns on me, the man thinks that he's in Isaiah 26. He thinks he's there. You know what Isaiah said? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusteth in thee. That's a little bit different, isn't it? Instead of somebody that thinks about the Lord every once in a while and he's stable. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, complete, total peace. Now, we've got to move rapidly along, but here's what I want you to understand. If you've got a King James translation, you've got the words of the Lord preserved in English. In English, okay? Now, you can have confidence that it's true from the beginning. When you read it, you need to be looking. All right, so if you get to the book of Psalms, what do you generally think about? I, as I said, I believe in the divine inspiration of the Scripture. The, scripture, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. means it was breathed in by the Holy Spirit into the man that pinned it down. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But not only do we believe in the divine inspiration of Scripture, we believe in the divine preservation of Scripture. That is that the Lord keeps 
the words that he inspired men to write. You with me so far? But I want to tell you something. I also believe in the divine arrangement of the books. You look at the book of Job, the book of Psalms, and the book of uh, Proverbs. They're chronologically in that order in your translation. You think that's by chance? Many men have shown that Job lived long before Moses, long before Abraham. But here's the book of Job. In the midst of the Old Testament, it's situated right in front of the book of Psalms and and two books before the book of Proverbs. What do you think about when you think about the book of Job? Suffering. Job is an example of what? Of great suffering for the glory of God. By the way, Job didn't suffer because he had done anything wrong. He was a perfect and upright man. And not everybody you see suffering is suffering because they've done something to deserve it. And you're a self-righteous Pharisee if that's the conclusion you draw every time you see somebody something go bad in somebody's life. Why did this house burn down? What did they do? What did they do to deserve that? You're a self-righteous Pharisee, and you can tell them I said so. All right? <clears throat> Not every time somebody suffers are they suffering because they did wrong. Now, sometimes... People are suffering because they deserve it. They've done wrong, and the Lord's chastening hand is upon them. I don't deny that. But at the same time, there are times when people are suffering for something greater than that. They're suffering for the glory of God. And the way you react to suffering will either glorify God or dishonor God. Job reacted to his suffering in a way that glorified God. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not with his lips. At the end of his life, the Lord delivered him in a wonderful way. So he was better off in the end than he was before the suffering came. But why was he suffering? You know why he was suffering? Because Satan had said, I don't think we'll ever get out of here today. I've got a lot of preaching to do between now and sundown. But uh, stick with me here. Stick with me. I know we're bogged down in Job, but we're having a good time. All right? I haven't forgot we're supposed to be in the book of Psalms. I hadn't forgot that. All right? But here we are in the book of Job. What, why was Job suffering? Because Satan said, why, Job serves you for naught. If you let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. God allowed Satan to touch him. But he would never allow Satan to take his life. And there are times when God in his infinite mercy and his infinite uh, wisdom will allow things to touch you in your life, but there will never be a time when he will allow anything to take away your eternal life. You are preserved in Christ, and nothing can take that away. You say, why would the Lord let that happen? Because the Lord was going to get glory out of Job's reaction to what happened. And there are times whenever the Lord allows things to happen in your life and you can either get bitter or you can get better. You can either glorify God or you can dishonor God. It depends on how you react to it. All right. So what is the book of Job all about? It's about a man that suffered greatly and then you see the end of the Lord, how the Lord is very pitiful, full of pity. pity. How, How gracious is almighty God to be full of pity. You know, some of these people running for high political office, you can tell that they don't, have, they don't even have a clue as to what the average person goes through. They don't have a clue what other people suffer. 
Uh, the average, some of these people running for high political office are so out of touch with the daily uh, struggles of the average person's life that when they talk, you can just tell they don't, they don't have a clue. And you know what? They don't care. They want you to think they care, but they don't care. You get some pompous individual sitting back and say, oh, be a farmer. I can tell you how to be a farmer. Drop a seed in the ground, cover it up with some dirt, and pour water on it. That's the most ignorant statement that has ever been made by a politician in my lifetime. <laughs> I, the, the Bible tells us that the, even the king is served by the field, that every human being in this building is dependent upon the farmer. And the farmer is more than just a fellow that drops a seed in the ground and pours a little water on it. <clears throat> You've got to be everything to be a farmer. You've got to be an electrician, a carpenter, a plumber. You've got to be a farmer. You've got to be a gardener. You've got to be a, a, an accountant. <laughs> uh, listen, I could be here all day telling you what it takes to be a farmer, and most of us don't have what it takes. I have great admiration for any man that has the intellect and the ability to be a farmer. All right? Now, how did I get on that? I don't know. But anyway, uh, what I want you to understand, oh, yeah. People that talk about farming like it was just a matter of dropping a seed in the dirt and covering it up with some... People like that are totally out of touch with suffering. They, they don't even know what it's like. The Bible tells you that the wicked of this world, the wicked, they don't have changes like you and I do. They don't have upheavals in their life. They don't have calamity. Every day is just another day to prosper. The market's up, great. The market's down, fine, I'll buy bonds. <laughs> the bond market's down, okay, I'll buy stock. In, in other words, to the wealthy, your sufferings, are they're completely oblivious. It's all a game to them. Don't you understand? It's a game. It's a chess game to them. They don't care who wins because the game's always the same. I want you to understand, child of God, today that we're not talking about a God who's way up there in heaven and doesn't have a clue about what we're talking to one who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God is pitiful. He's full of pity. Wouldn't it be terrible... If God was like some of the politicians of our day. But God Almighty's son is a great high priest who came to this earth and suffered what we suffer. And can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And he had pity upon uh, Job. God could have been righteous just to leave Job in his sufferings. But God, who is righteous, had pity on Job. God would be righteous to leave every one of us in our sufferings. We deserve to suffer. Because we're all sinners and have come short of the glory of God. But God is a God full of pity. Amen. Has he ever had pity on you? He certainly has on me. Yeah. The book of Job is about suffering. But what is the book of Psalms about? When you think about the book of Psalms, what do you generally think of? Comfort. Yeah, that's right. Comfort. Now, you know what? It's, to, it's hard to try to comfort somebody that's not uncomfortable. Amen. Right. It's a terrible... You know why people... You know why that preaching doesn't reach people today? Because they're not uncomfortable. They're rich in 
increase too much goods and think they have need of nothing. I want to tell you something. Whenever you're afflicted, when you're down, what do people run to every time? They run to the Word of God. Why? Because it is a book that will comfort you when no one else can. That's what Psalms will do, won't it? It's a book of... Now, there's a lot in the Psalms. There's all kind of things in the Psalms. But primarily, when you think about it, what do you think about? Comfort. Yeah. I, I look to the book of Psalms to become, you know, in, a, in other words, Psalms doesn't come first and then Job. Right. Job comes first, then Psalms. Are you with me? Okay. Suffering, comfort. What is the book of Proverbs all about? You got it. Whoever said instruction was right. It's a book of instruction. It's a book to tell you how to honor the one who comforted you from your suffering. It's a book that tells you how to live your life. And it'll make the simple person wise. It'll take a young man and, and enable him to think like an old man. You know, uh, one of the terrible things about being young... Is that you don't have enough sense to know that people that are old know more than you do. <laughs> You've heard about it. I hear old people got a lot of wisdom, but you're not gonna listen. <clears throat> All right? That's just one of the plagues of being young. When you know what the plague of being old is? Nobody listens to you. <laughs> You got all kind of stuff up here, but nobody will listen. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Why? Because, you're, well, uh, what, is the, what is the expression nowadays? Okay, boomer. Fine, boomer. <laughs> I've heard it all, boomer. Yeah. Okay. But listen, just because you were born in the same generation, I, I was born into the worst generation that was ever walked this earth. The uh, 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 baby boom generation the worst of them all selfish spoiled brats <clears throat> whose mom and daddies fought world war ii came up to the depression gave them everything they ever had and they turned around and destroyed it <clears throat> all right that i can talk about baby boomers because i was born into that generation but i want to tell you something just because you're born a millennial in the millennial doesn't mean you have to act like one. Amen. And just because you were born a baby boomer doesn't mean you have to act like Amen. one. And thank God there were people in my generation who rejected the dope-smoking, hippie generation uh, 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 dogma and they turned to serve God in their generation. And thank God there are young people here today. I look out over this congregation I rejoice. I see many young people who were born millennials, but they're not acting like them. Because they've got enough sense to know that here is where the word of God is. All right? So Proverbs will make you wise, and the rest of your generation are fools. Okay? Proverbs doesn't come first. It comes last. Because you know what the Lord does? He feeds you before he calls on you to work. Uh, <laughs> you know, doesn't that make sense? You know what I used to, you know what I, well, I can't stay here. I just, I want to point out something to you. There's divine inspiration, there's divine preservation, there's divine arrangement to the Bible. Whoever wrote this book, Elder Sonny Paul said, didn't have anything to learn. I want you to have 
confidence in the Word of God. Now, let's get to our text. Is there any time left? Nope, it's all gone. All used up. Isn't that something? I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? It's all gone. All the time's gone. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy, tr truth is hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to hear the truth sometimes. You know, you know why people don't like the Bible? Because it tells the truth about people. Right. <clears throat> truth is hard to hear sometimes until the Lord prepares your heart to receive it. Truth says you're a sinner. Truth says you're on your way to a place of torment where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. That's the truth. We all deserve to go there. That's the truth. But thank God, mercy and truth are met together. Mercy says what? Yeah, you deserve to go to hell, but you're not going. As a matter of fact, not only you're not going, you're going to a place where there is no end to the joy and the blessings. A place called heaven. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness is what? Moral uprightness. Living right. The best way to remember what righteousness is, is right. Right from wrong. Good from evil. You know what you're living in, in, in our world today? You're living in a world that calls evil good. And good evil. What does the Lord say? What are them that call evil good? What are them that call evil good? It doesn't matter how immoral, how twisted, how perverted... The lifestyle of people are today, it's also, well, that, that's good. That's, that's a good thing. The world declares that the most perverted, sick, twisted, sinful life that you can think of, well, that's a good thing. And if you dare say it's not, well, that's evil. Who are you to judge? Who are you to say, why, why, you're, you see the difference? You see how the world has taken evil and called it good? And the world's taking good and calling it evil. All right? What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that there's an absolute right and an absolute wrong. Amen. You know who says what's absolutely right and who's absolutely wrong? God. God makes the rules. Righteousness is right living. It's being right. It is the quality of being in a state of moral uprightness. Okay? Righteous is the absence of what? Unrighteousness. Okay? So here's righteousness. Any of y'all qualify this morning? Don't raise your hand. It's a trick question. <clears throat> Any of y'all qualify? I'm righteous. What does the Bible say? All of our righteousnesses. We are all, we are all as an unclean thing, the prophet said. And all of our righteousnesses, you think about all the right things you've done. All the things you've done in nature. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You want to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here to settle account. I know I'm a sinner, but I got a lot of righteousness here that will outweigh it. Here's a whole truckload of dirty rags. You know, you know better than that, don't you? The only righteousness that you and I will ever have is what? The imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Either he has given you his righteousness by grace or you don't have any at all. The only thing that impresses God is the righteousness of his son. If you're pleading your own righteousness, you're pleading filthy rags. But if you're pleading the righteousness of Christ, then that God honors. That's why he blesses us for Christ's sake. Righteousness and peace. Those two don't always go together, do they? Sometimes uh, your pastor, his brother have bold positions in our in this community as uh, a term, uh, uh, district attorneys or whatever it is. Uh, is district? It's district. Yeah, close enough, right? <laughs> you, you, you don't want to get crossed up with them. Let me just put it that way. They have bold. My brother is a is a circuit judge. That's the only thing. Above him is the state supreme court and the federal courts. He hears capital cases day in and day out. <clears throat> when it comes to the adjudication of the law, righteousness and peace don't always go together, do they? There are times in order to do the right thing, you have to go to war. In order to do the right thing, the United States of America had to go to war in World War II. It would have been wrong for us to sit on the sidelines. If, if, if Pearl Harbor had been bombed, the Jewish people were being slaughtered by that demonic, evil man called Hitler. If we had sat by and said, well, you know, that's Europe's problem, that would have been wrong. That would have been unrighteous, wouldn't it? It required us to go to war in order to be righteous as a nation. You with me? There are times whenever your family is threatened that in order to do the right thing, you've got to take up arms against somebody else. To provide for your family, to provide the protection they need, sometimes righteousness and peace do not go together. Are you with me? But here the Bible said they've kissed each other. Oh boy, here we go. Everybody else wants to talk about the virus. I'll talk about the virus. <laughs> Brother Tim called me yesterday. I hear they're saying you're not supposed to. Uh, 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 I, hear, I hear the edict has come down. We're not supposed to be meeting together in big groups. Are you still coming? I said, are you kidding me? Of course I'm coming. Because they may have power over the nation, but they don't have power over the kingdom of God. Amen. Right. I'm in the kingdom of God. We don't have an American flag hanging up here. Thank God. Amen. Right. I, I love America. I always have to tell this hey, to qualify this. I love America. Yeah. I pay taxes just like everybody else does. I try to obey the law just like everybody else does. I, 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 I pray for the leaders of our country. I love America. Everybody got that? But this is not the United States of... This is the kingdom of God. This is not America. Do you understand the difference? America is a physical kingdom. That as a citizen, I pray for... Listen, if they draft me, I will go and fight. I will fight to defend this country. Now, if they draft me, it's close to being pretty much over. The war's winding down whenever they get to my group. But I'm telling you, I'll still go because I love America. Yes, 
But this ain't America. This is the kingdom of God. And I'm here today to tell you that the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. That's right. yes, sir. A, not a perverted, Amen. but a holy, holy kiss. Yes, sir. One that honors Almighty God. Amen. You know, when you get an old Baptist meeting, you can't help. Listen, your pastor walked out to the parking lot, walked up to me and bear hugged me. I bear hugged him back. He said, now, you know, we're not supposed to. Uh, embrace it. I said, well, we just blew that. I mean, it's, that's, that's over. Too late to fix that. That's right. I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm just as concerned as anybody else about staying healthy. But I want to tell you something. There are some things that are above and superior Amen. to this world. Amen. A holy kiss, a holy embrace is, is a way in order for one child of God to express their love for another child of God. We are to treat our elders as fathers and mothers, and we are to treat our those that are on the same uh, age group as our sisters and brothers. And we are to greet one another with a holy kiss. Kissing is not fist bumping or elbowing or kicking somebody in the shin when you walk by, is it? Thank God righteousness and peace haven't fist bumped. <laughs> Thank God it doesn't say righteousness and peace has elbow touched. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That is a holy embrace. That is a, an embrace not only of closeness but of affection. Righteousness and peace in this verse are one. They come together as one. All right, you with me? Yes. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace don't always get along in the world, but here in our text, righteousness and peace don't just get along. They've embraced one another. Amen. In a holy kiss. Okay? Now, how in the world can mercy and truth meet together when sometimes the truth demands that there is no mercy? Yeah. How can righteousness <clears throat> embrace or kiss peace when sometimes righteousness demands war the answer is simple then the next verse Amen. truth it says here in our text shall spring out of the earth Amen. and righteousness shall look down from heaven do you know I'm here today to tell you that even though I've gone over time and and and, and 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 hey, listen, don't don't sweat it. There's food right next door. Yes, All right, so you're you're fine. It'll take you 15 minutes to drive to town to get something to eat. I'm gonna take that 15 minutes because it won't take but five seconds to walk next door. All right. Now, righteousness and peace, truth, mercy and truth, right? Righteousness and peace. How? Because truth has sprung out of the earth. Yeah. And what does it say here? And the Bible says, righteousness shall look down from heaven. You know what that verse is talking about? I know you know what it's talking about. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where that mercy and truth are met together. That's how righteousness... See, God's not going to take you to heaven because he looked at your sins and swept them under the rug. God's not going to take you to heaven because he just said, you know what? I know you broke my law, but I love you too much. Come on. No! Righteousness demands the payment of the penalty. Yes. 
true, these, these brethren here who are officers of the court know that when it comes to justice, justice demands payment. Right. Now, I want to tell you something, child of God. God Almighty demanded payment whenever Adam and Eve transgressed in the Garden of Eden and plunged all of us into sin, God Almighty was offended. God Almighty was at war with his people. The Bible tells us that there was enmity between God and his people. But what did the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us, thank God, that, uh, that uh, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by the death of his son. How did God reconcile us? By the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ sprang out of the earth. He was born of a virgin. And what did he say? I, I'm, I'm the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. The only man that ever walked this earth that never told a lie, never said anything wrong, never did anything wrong, was always truthful. Because he is truth. Truth sprang out of the earth. We are of the earth earthy. We are nothing more than what? Adam and Eve multiplied. That's all we are. Somebody said, well, I, I paid $200. I found out who my great-grandpa was. I could save you the money. Your great-great-grandpa is Adam. The same great-great-grandpa I've got. We're all, we're all going back to the same place. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter how I got watered down over the years. We all go back to the same place. Right. <laughs> so I was born into a noble family. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Uh, you'd be shocked to hear about all the mongrels that are in my, in my lineage. <laughs> I like what Sonny Paul said one time. Uh, some of my ancestors may have swung by the neck. But none of them ever swung by the tail. And I'm thankful for that. <laughs> but I, I'll, tell you this, I'll tell you this much this morning. You need to remember this. That we have all sinned in Adam. And God Almighty wasn't going to sweep that under the rug. God Almighty demanded payment. And the only one that could pay it is the one that sprang up out of the earth. We are of the earth. earth. The difference in him and you and me is what? He was born sinless. Righteous, holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners because he wasn't born of man like you and me. He was born of a virgin. And his father is not a man. His father is God. And because his father is God, he was perfect. Righteousness, what does it say? What does our text say? I'm almost through. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. What did Jesus say? I came down from heaven. You and I got our start on our birth date. Jesus Christ, before he was born in Bethlehem, was with the Father before the world began. You were chosen in Christ before the world began. He is God. He is God. And because he's God, he's righteousness that came down from heaven. He said, I came down from heaven. He didn't get his start 2,000 years ago. The Son of Man was brought into this world 2,000 years ago. But the Son of God has always been. He's eternal. He said, I came down from heaven. You and I hope by the grace of God to be on our way to heaven. But he said, I came down from heaven. You know what he told? Remember what he said, uh, what Paul said in Ephesians 4? He said, he that ascended is he that first descended. 
He that ascended, Jesus Christ, was the first descended. He came down from heaven. He, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again the last day. I'm happy to tell you that Jesus did exactly what he came, his Father sent him to do. He saved everyone the Lord gave him to save. Truth, the Son of Man, sprang out of the earth. Righteousness came down from heaven, the Son of God, and they kissed each other Amen. in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that glorious? Amen. Isn't that glorious? <clears throat> Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. How is it that a holy God can save an unholy people in the person of of Jesus Christ. That's how. When righteousness and peace have kissed each other. May the Lord richly bless you, is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.